Life Audio. Hey, welcome back to the Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard with Gospel App Ministries, www.gospel-app.com. Bill at gospel-app.com. Look, I'm starting a new series, uh, last podcast on the Song of Songs of Solomon in the Old Testament. Very small book. I'm Look, I, I believe it. This is going to be a very different take than you've heard before. It's going to be uncomfortable to some, but man, I think it's worth it. Uh, I, I made a paper at uh, Society of Biblical Literature on the topic and my approach and was well received. I think this is going to start a dialogue that uh, will hopefully help us see it differently. I think we've made it confusing over the last couple thousand years. And we've discouraged implicitly the use of the book, largely. So my take is that it's perhaps the most gospel, powerful gospel presentation in the Old Testament. Yeah. Well, that's different. And for the most part, if that's true, we Christians have uh, historically treated it as an embarrassing member of the family. And that's too bad. Why is this so important? Why am I pushing this? The CDC just came out with their mental health report for teenagers. It is frightening. 42% of respondents said that they were experiencing persistent feelings of sadness, hopelessness. Crazy. That's 50% up from 2011. And and that's 42% overall, 60% of women and 70% of LGBTQ+. Now, we can blame that, some of it anyway, on, on COVID, but I'm suggesting that most of it is due to an increasing sense of celestial loneliness, right? Um, look, here are the first couple verses of the Song of Songs. It's a, a response of the woman, the young maiden, the queen, and she's living in a patriarchal world, and she's experiencing unbelievable honor now in the arms of the king, value, uh, a being, uh, his identity from being loved and embraced. She calls them kisses uh, from her husband, the great king, uh, who represents God. And by the way, they're married from the beginning of the book. I'm going to explain more as we proceed. It's not scandalous. It's just powerful. But for now, hear how she is transformed from being a 12 to 15-year-old girl in a patriarchal society who was likely anxious in the marriage, just like teens today. She had little voice in the choice. She probably was wondering if before if she would ever really be loved or was lovable. And then she got married to the king. And listen to how she responds in his arms. Verse 2 of chapter 1. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Meaning, keep on kissing me. For your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers, the inner chambers, the bedroom, his embrace, right? And we will exult and rejoice in you. We, we will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. Well, uh, I co-authored the, my first book with Colleen Pepper on the Song of Songs. We called it The Kiss of God. Uh, you can check it out on Amazon. I recommend it to you. Well, one major publishing house had us on a contract for almost a year before they decided that our approach was far too dangerous and disturbing for so many of their readers. This idea, this romantic relationship with God was just troubling. And and I think they were right. It would have been very troubling then, and, and I'm going to suggest still today. 
I am in the process of rewriting the book. New title is, at least proposed title, The Kisses of God. And it's going to be dangerous and disturbing and wonderful, life-changing, particularly for, you know, those 60%, 50 60% of women, 70% of LGBTQ+, 42% of all teens, not to mention the adults. I mean, I think it's just going to be just well-received, right? And... Uh, by the way, a few weeks ago, my youngest daughter was preaching on the transfiguration, and she made a comment, I love this, about the popular practice of putting ash on believers' forehead. Um, it is usually described or popularly understood as it being reminded that we're but dust. She suggested that a better way of understanding it today is that these were moments when our dust becomes more. Moments when our dust becomes more. That's what the queen was experiencing in the arms of the king. I like that. Welcome to the Song of Songs. Give me feedback, Bill, at gospel-app.com. Make sure you follow, you like, you subscribe wherever you get podcasts so you get updated podcasts on a weekly basis. Before we get into the meat of, of this intro, let's take a break for a word from our sponsors. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hey, welcome back. All right. If you're still with me and, and are, are, are open to hear this, imagine that you're a woman, uh, by the way, or man, who lived in northern Israel, mid-8th century B.C. Every story is different, but your testimony involved some societal shame or sense of impurity, lack of purity, right, or embarrassment that forced you away from your family of birth and onto the streets. Maybe your fault. Maybe you've made bad choices. Maybe the shame was forced upon you because shame does happen. Um, and by the way, historic note, a few short years, all of Israel is going to be publicly shamed through their horrific defeat, destruction by Assyria. So young, men, young women would become outcasts for several reasons in an honor-shame culture, such as Israel. Maybe you had been sexually active pre-marriage. Maybe you had been raped or abused. Perhaps you had been married and wrongly divorced or rightly divorced. And the results were the same. You were declared impure, detestable to God, unwelcomed in your family or religion, or at least you felt that way. And to make ends meet, 
look, you had a couple options. You, among them were begging and prostitution. Look, you became isolated, ashamed, afraid, and hungry. And so perhaps you became a prostitute. I'm going to say more about the story of Gomer from Hosea 2 later. And like so many girls and boys before you and after you, right, you, you, you had to survive. You would feel the cultural ambivalence toward you, right? Your presence is an offense officially to the village, but then you're still pursued and desired by some, even some of the so-called hypocritical righteous. So you gave up or lost or it was robbed from you, your self-worth to some degree or another. You have become, for the most part, an object whose job, a person whose job is to be used to satisfy hunger and urges of those who reject you. And likely, over time, you would begin to forget what being loved feels like, or maybe even that it even exists, not for you anyway, and sadness and hopelessness. Still at times, unless you have totally died inside, some distant cry of your brain still demands love and being loved. Well, when that happens, where do you go? Where do you turn? Your clients offer nothing for you. Then a shocking new lover comes to you. He looks at you and feels love towards you. You can see it. There's a Greek word, splagnitsomai, that describes the love of God. It's a gut churning. It's affecting. You can see it in, in, in his face. It's a unique, overflowing emotion that this particular king alone feels. I mean, check out Matthew 9, 36, 14, 14, 15, 32, 18, 27, Mark 141, 634, Luke 10, 33, 15, 20. It's often translated compassion or pity or just heart, but it is so much more than that. It's a gut-wrenching, other-oriented desire to pursue love and restore to glory and honor uh, people like you. Though it cost your new lover everything. I mean, think of his reputation, right? Think of his status. Think of his name, at least theoretically. (laughs) We'll see. Um, This lover king is different. But his love, undisturbed, begins to change something deep inside of you. See, that's the gospel. You begin to feel the first pangs of being loved again. A little lovable. A little 99 times out of 100, you were treated as an object whose worth is solely measured and how well you satisfied the selfish hungers of others. And you've, your value was measured in your beauty, your craft, how you sing familiar love songs to those who are going to pillage your remaining residual worth and glory. They don't really care for you. They, they care for what you do for them and how you make them feel you're an object. But then a new voice cries out to you, Boldly, how lovely you are, how special, how worthy of being loved, how lovable. Glory. And this voice identifies itself as a king. Well, will you be able to hear the music? Will you be able to dance to this new tune? I mean, it's complicated. You have been, you have long given up the hope of, yeah, experiencing such a love for you or rescue. You're too proud for someone feeling sorry for you, right? You're street savvy. You're not going to put up with that game. Look, you've been told for so long that if there was a God King, he wouldn't, let me see, he, uh, he would 
he would be disgusted in you. I might as well just say it. He would hardly want to identify with you, embrace you, or have anything to do with you. He wouldn't want to soil his name. If you were to eventually stand in front of that king as judge, it wouldn't go well for you. You certainly wouldn't expect to hear, all beautiful you are, my darling, there is no flaw in you. That's song 4-7. You can see with clear eyes in your own mirror that there's a lot of flaws. Everybody can see them. Well, why can't this king? But it's such a king that we need, that you need. Your brokenness is deep, and though you have tried many times, you feel lonely. You feel sadness and hopelessness. Uh, old song, Tracy Chapman, Remember the Ten Man. Let me just, oh my gosh, listen to this when you can, but here are the, here are the lyrics. Who stole your heart? And she's speaking of the Ten Man and the Wizard of Oz. Who stole your heart? The smile from your face, the innocence, the light from your eyes. Who stole your heart? Or did you give it away? And if so, then when and why? Who took away the part so essential to the whole, left you a hollow body, skin and bone, what robber, what thief? Who stole your heart and the key? Now all sentiment is gone. Now you have no trust and no one who stole your heart. Did you know but forget the method and moment in time? Was it a trickster using mirrors and sleight of hand, a strong elixir or a potion that you drank? Who hurt your heart, bruised it in a place that no one and nothing can heal? You've gone to wizards and princes and magic men. You've gone to witches, the good, the bad, the indifferent, but still all sentiment is gone. Still you have no trust in no one. Oh my goodness, that is such a powerful song. Tracy Chapman, check it out. <clears throat> So to break into all of that, your pain, your sense of failure and being a loser and broken and dirty and soiled and ugly, your lover is going to have to be something special. They must also come with, honestly, they got to come with a power that's more powerful than your deeply entrenched inner critical inner voice. And here's why. Nothing has hurt you more than relationships, more than love and the absence of both or abusiveness of both. So your brain is designed by God to protect you from being hurt again. And it does its job really well. The king's love must be capable, powerful enough to begin to dismantle some of those deeply entrenched inner working models, the subconscious stuff in your midbrain that's designed to keep love away. And he will need to be quite a lover. Yeah? All right. This is probably a good place to take another brief word from our sponsors, Please listen, and we'll be right back. Hey, welcome back. Um, look, will this will ancient love poems work? <laughs> look, I sure hope so. Check out this email. I found it on the web from a single woman. She's longing for a love song sung to her by a true lover. She needs the dance, you know, just like me, but she's frustrated by the status quo. She says, I'm a 32-year-old single Christian woman, and I've exhausted all options for dealing with the agonizing loneliness of my life. I paid a Christian counselor for months to listen to my problems, but I never received the guidance or advice I desired, except a suggestion that, you know, perhaps I'm too hard on myself. I'm involved in two small groups, one of which is a singles group. I participate in community service with Christians, and I attend and participate in the church. I have a career, a house, a car, everything. I have pursued all my interests, including traveling extensively. 
I make efforts to meet new people and form new friendships. Still, I come home to an empty house every night, no matter how involved and social I am. And yes, I've had roommates in the past, but but with negative consequences. I haven't been on a date for years, and I worry I must be a freak. Though I know the dating pool of single men my age is very small in my church. I ask people what glaring character flaw is causing this suffering, but no one gives me an answer. I'm healthy, I dress well, and people say I'm attractive. So I know it's not a physical appearance problem. Despite all my best efforts and my faith in Christ, I am directionless and lost. My self-esteem and courage are weakening. I don't know where to turn. And I feel increasingly discouraged and sometimes hopeless. All I can utter to God oftentimes is, why aren't you helping me? What else am I supposed to do? Do you have any new perspectives on this? Well, well, may I say to you at this moment, beloved child of God, his bride in good standing, God is delighting over you. But I get it. In all likelihood, you've stopped hearing the music. Uh, you're not alone. And there's hope. And that's the song of songs. At least it's the it's the trailhead towards that hope. And, and please join us on the journey. I'm inviting you, like the rest of us and me, to plunge into the garden of the song. Remember what it felt like to be loved by God. We all felt it once. Don't get distracted or confused by the sexual images. That's bearing the headline. I'm going to say more about the neuroscience of love, which I think you might find interesting and helpful. Your sole goal, right, to be simple, is for you to begin to grasp again the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ for you. Ephesians 3, 14, 21. We'll show you how. It can't leave you unchanged. It can't leave you unmoved. Honestly, it's better than sex. God created both. I'll explain more. This dance will likely affect positively your sense of worth and identity. You may even smile. And so if that happens, don't fight it. It's likely going to affect your other relationships a little or a lot, uh, I think. You'll see. There's evidence that lonely individuals have sort of a negativity bias in evaluating all their social interactions. They don't mean to. It's part of human nature. Lonely people pick up on signs of potential rejection more quickly than do others and perhaps are better to avoiding it and protecting themselves because... Look, nothing has hurt us more than relationships. You can hear it in that poor lady's voice, right? Silent solitude, one said, makes true speech possible and personal. If I'm not in touch with my own belovedness, then I can't touch the sacredness of others. If I am estranged from myself, I am likewise a stranger to others. But what if? What if at least in one critically important relationship, you can begin to feel cherished, delighted in, adored, desired. I'm telling you, it's going to make a difference, a little or a lot, okay? In Song of Songs terminology, you can access power from God that can overwhelm that well-entrenched critical inner voice to the point where you can begin again to hear your heavenly beloved delighting in you with the words of the song. Listen to Song 2. Uh, verses 10 to 14. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away, for behold, the winter is past. That lady, I mean, that wonderful lady is stuck in the winter. 
The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. O my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet, and your face is lovely. Look. Uh, you know, what could keep you from the dance? I mean, I've known so many Christians who lament that they are afraid that they just haven't done enough to ever expect to hear Jesus say to them eventually, well done, good and faithful servant. That's a tragic misunderstanding of the gospel, but I get it. I mean, the truth is no human being has ever done enough to hear Jesus say that to them. There's no one righteous, not one. That's reflected in the Old and New Testaments. That's one of the many reasons Jesus came to earth, his life and death on your behalf, not only purchased for you eternal life in heaven. It also purchased for you all the love of the universe. There is no more for you to earn. You cannot lose it or soil it somehow. Hey, here, listen to how Brennan Manning puts it. I love Brennan. Do you believe that the God of Jesus loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness, beyond fidelity and infidelity, that he loves you in the morning sun and in the evening rain, that he loves you when your intellect denies it, your emotions refuse it? Your, and your whole being rejects it. Do you believe that God loves without condition or reservation and loves you this moment as you are and not as you should be? Yeah. Well, your answer, like so many, might be yes and no, but welcome to the Song of Songs. No shame. And let me ask you another question. Do you want to experience Jesus's love for you and through you to others? If so, you're in the right place. What does all this say about the uh, egalitarian, complementarian debate? Look, if this isn't a problem for you, then don't worry about it. But for those folks who are wondering about what this says about husband and wife and relationships and headships and stuff, uh, oh my gosh, I think this is such good news. Boys, it, this should change that dialogue. So here, as I said above, the relationship imagined by the song speaks to mutuality and equal sacrifice for the other by both husband and wife equally. So if headship or better source look like this pursuing king lover who humiliates himself again and again to, to communicate to his beloved how beautiful she was in his eyes, how worthy, how desirable, how glorious, and how she's captured his heart with only a single glance and then, and then prioritizes her experience of that love and honor, if he was the prime ongoing source of her feeling loved, I'm thinking that the theological discussion would change its tenor dramatically. I mean, if submission was vulnerably mutual, receiving love, honor, sense of worth, and identity from the source, we would be having a very different discussion. See, it's, I'm, I'm going to say that um, trying to find theological clues to support one side or the other, like so much of the interpretation of the song, has buried the headline. It's less about authority and power and more about where all of us can find positive answers to the two core questions in our subconsciouses. Is there anyone there for me? And is there anyone who really loves me as I am? Yeah? Husbands and wives, single men and women, man, we're jonesing for that kind of love and honor and being loved and being held and being respected and being lifted up. If that's not on the table, you know, then power and authority and, and submission you know, all that, all those discussions are, are going to be right around the corner. Um, so are you jazzed? We're going to pick it up on the next podcast. 
I would like to acknowledge lifeaudio.com, their support. Please help us get the word out. Look, we're, we're trying to change evangelicalism in a, in a real sense. We're trying to highlight this ridiculous, amazing, shocking, troubling, and wonderful love of Christ dynamic that makes me feel, uh, per the, you know, the CDC survey, to make me feel less sadness and, and, and less hopelessness. So please make sure that you intentionally follow us on whatever podcast platform you use. Share the link with others that you think might find this interesting. Post it on your Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, right? And, and if you want, check out the book, The Kiss of God on Amazon. It is a great read. All right, we'll see you next time. Take heart, child of God. Often we believe our questions mean we don't have faith, but I believe Jesus loves our questions. Our questions are windows into heaven. I'm Caden Fabrizio, and on the Questions with Caden podcast, we ask and answer one question per episode as relevantly and biblically as possible. Questions about fear, anxiety, depression, addiction, and so much more. Don't worry, your questions, they're not going to scare Jesus, so ask away. Listen and subscribe now at lifeaudio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.